Welcome to SCG Church's podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. We also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. Thanks so much for listening. Cool. Make sure you bring your kids. If you got kids that age, they're going to have a great time. Uh, so, how many like surprises? Some of you are scared, like he's got something he's going to do. No, I'm not going to do anything surprising. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and tell them the latest surprise you had, just the most recent surprise you've had. Turn to somebody and tell them real quick. So judging by uh, the sound, you had some surprises, and it sounded like mostly good ones. I haven't heard any wailing or weeping of gnashing of teeth or anything, so that's good. Some good surprises. Uh, this week, I was going to surprise my wife. It was her birthday, and I was going to surprise her, but the problem is that she, uh, she looks at all the credit cards all the time. She's like one of those. You know what I'm saying? She's always checking what's been spent, so I know I can't, and, and, and same thing with a bank account if I went to grab cash, what it was, and uh, sometimes I'll save up cash and have enough to it. This time, I didn't have enough, and, and uh, so I was going to get her a, uh, uh, a, a gift certificate because she never wears what I buy her. Anyway, so... Um, and so I purposely, this time, this time, purposely waited till the very day, the very day of her birthday, so that I could go buy the, the gift certificate at the last minute and then give it to her at the family dinner, and she wouldn't have time to look at the thing, would, right? I go to buy it, and evidently, because I don't shop at this particular store often in the women's department, um, they declined it because it was out of the pattern. I, of course, I know this because I called them later. And explained what happened. They didn't care. Not only did they decline it, they sent my wife a notice. <laughs> so we get to dinner. We're giving her presents. I hand her the little silver box. Oh, what a surprise. No, you saw it this afternoon. I know you did. So some surprises don't work out very well, do they? There's a little passage in, uh, in Acts chapter 6, and we've been looking at the book of Acts, and Acts chapter 6, a little passage, just the first seven verses, just, it looks like a little bit of housekeeping in the early church. Just a little bit of issue, little systems needed corrected there, a little uh, function needed put in place to, to fix the thing, and you look at it and go, well, that's cute, I don't know why they include that, but here's what I suggest to you. In this little short passage, <clears throat> there's in these little seven verses, I want to suggest there's some surprises. They're not like big surprises, like you want a car, you want a car. Not that kind of surprise, just little surprises that indicate what our Christian life is supposed to look like and how it contrasts to the world around us. It seems to me, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me, and I've been around a while, that we are having a harder and harder time in the world we live in uh, getting along with each other. We just seem to be having a hard time right now getting along with each other, and, and some of it's justified, and most of it is not. And, uh, and so I want you to get a little glimpse of how the early church worked, and how we're supposed to work, and how that can impact our lives if we would adopt um, and, and learn these attitudes. So if you want to follow along, it's found in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Uh, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, I'll explain what that is in a moment if you don't know, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews uh, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. 
brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy, full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Blochorus, Nicanor, I have no idea, uh, Timon, uh, Parmenia, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and uh, a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, you're saying, okay, that's cute. They gave out food to the right people. Uh, what's the big deal there? There's a couple of interesting things. I, I really kind of sometimes like to dig into some things and credit I learn from. Here's, there's some not surprising things, and there's surprising things, uh, three of each in, in this passage. The first one is, uh, what is not surprising is that people have conflict. Nobody's surprised by conflict. We all have conflict, right? There's conflict between men and women. There's conflict between people of different races. There's conflict between nations. Conflict is a part of living in the fallen world. It just happens. That part is not surprising. There's no, by the way, there's no special gift or ability to, to find conflict. We can all kind of find conflict. We can, we can see it. It's not, a matter of fact, Matter of fact, and this is something that I, I just want you to hear me and, and, and just think about it. We live in a world where we kind of capitalize on conflict. I kind of think that we've come to a place in our world where we kind of have raised to an art form the ability to be offended by someone. We look for opportunities because the most offended person, the most victimized person, rises to the top of the status somehow in this warped world we're living in. Right? And so, matter of fact, it is so bad that if you can't find something to be offended about, you'll be offended on behalf of someone else. <laughs> Maybe even a whole group of other people that you don't even know personally, but you're offended somehow for them, right? And so in a world in which we look for opportunities to be offended, opportunities to be the victim, opportunities to, to somehow get a higher ground of some perverted way because we're the most offended, in this passage, there is no talk of of being offended. That's the surprising thing. The surprising thing is not that there was conflict. The surprising thing, it was solved so quickly and so painlessly. So let me tell you about the Hellenistic Jews and the, and the Hebraic Jews. Here's what it is. Uh, so there were people who lived in Jerusalem, uh, the Jews living in Jerusalem, and uh, they had always lived in Jerusalem. They spoke Aramaic. Uh, they followed the, the, the local rituals, laws, um, the, the, the culture, etc. They became Christians. There was this other group of Jews from the diaspora or diaspora in which the, uh, the Jews had been, because of the Romans overthrowing and overruling, they, they went off to live in other cities, Greek cities. So Greek was kind of, the, the, kind of like English would be today. Greek was kind of the spoken world throughout the Roman Empire. And so they came from other places, having been born, maybe never been to Jerusalem before. They spoke other languages, had different cultures, all this stuff, but they were Jewish. And what would happen a lot of times, uh, according to historians, is that toward the end of a life, um, maybe a Jewish couple might decide to visit the Holy Land and make a pilgrimage there to the holy city of Jerusalem, uh, to the temple, and many of them would stay. And as is the case today, back then the men would die first, because you women are stronger than us. That's the only possibility. There was another way I was going to go with that, and I chickened out. Um, and, 
And so what would happen is the, the men would die first, leaving these widows stranded in a strange city with a strange language with no extended family because they were back wherever they came from. And some of them became Christians. And the problem is they had no way to get food, no way to get money for food, etc. And so the church was feeding both sets. And there was also widows on the other side as well. Uh, and so the church was feeding both. And for some reason, the, the Hellenistic, the, 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 the widows who had came from elsewhere, were not uh, receiving enough food. Simple, okay? And so, and so it's just like, okay, that's, a little, that's just a simple little administrative thing. Well, think about the potential. So you're saying, well, that's not a big thing. It's not a big thing because it was dealt with immediately. But if you wanted to really kind of see some victimhood there, they could really say, are you kidding me? You guys aren't feeding widows? Look at these poor widows. You people in Jerusalem, you've had it all along. You've been here. Look at us. We've traveled so far. They could have claimed some serious victimhood there, right? Here's what is amazing is it got solved and it got solved quickly. Let me, let me just kind of talk about several things. It's no special gift to identify um, uh, conflict or to identify problems. The gift in this is when it comes to solving problems, to relieving conflict, to finding a solution, to being solution-oriented. I think we as Christians, of all people, need to, yes, see the problems that exist, but be the people who are solution-oriented. I think we live in a society where people are really great at identifying problems, not so great at bringing solutions, and many of them don't want to bring solutions because they're somehow benefiting from it. Either by ignoring it, those who have power ignoring it because they don't want to care, those who don't have power by using it to try to gain power. It's all a manipulative system and it is not Christian and it's not according to God's will. We as Christians have the opportunity from either side where we find ourselves to find solutions to be solution oriented. And I think that's a part of what makes this unique. That is a part of the surprise here. It was solved effectively. It was solved efficiently. It was solved immediately. It's not just uh, an option for Christians to bring solutions and to bring uh, wisdom to bear on conflict, especially within the church, but in the community as, as we can as well. Um, I think it is an important part of our, our discipleship, our followership, if you will. In the very last uh, verse that I read to you, in verse 7, there is an interesting phrase, and it talks about obedient to the faith. I was reading St. Benedict recently, as I do often, not. Um, but I was doing some research on something, and I came across something that was interesting. Uh, Benedict uh, equated obedience with immediacy. And I think one of the most surprising things about this is how quickly it got solved. It seems so simple to us, and yet it could have become such a thing, such a big deal, right? Benedict suggested that in following, it's not enough to just do what we're supposed to do. There are two other elements as well. There's not only the doing, there is the timing, and there is the attitude in doing. So the illustration might be, uh, you got a little kid, little Johnny. Little Johnny needs to pick up his clothes off the floor in the bathroom and put them in the hamper, okay? Little Johnny, please go push it. Now, we've all experienced little Johnny, if you're a parent, uh, we've all experienced little Johnny going to the bathroom and picking up the clothes eventually, when the timing is right for Johnny right? Now, when mom said pick up the clothes, she didn't mean later tonight. She didn't mean after you're done with the video game or the cartoon is over. She meant now, right? And we've also experienced little Johnny finally getting around to picking up the clothes and slamming every door between here and there because he didn't want to pick up the clothes. And so what he was doing was he was 
obeying, but he wasn't being obedient. You see, obedience is I go and I do it now without hesitation and without grumbling. I take care of this situation. When, the, when, we, when we pray the Lord's Prayer uh, and we pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's kind of what it's talking about. It's obedience. Now, how is God's will done in heaven? They don't take a vote. They don't discuss it. They don't, they don't you know, put a committee together. God's will is done immediately and gladly. And so a part of what is unusual about this is the problem got solved immediately and gladly. And I can, t- I can show you that in a moment. You're saying, well, it doesn't say anything about their attitudes. I'll show you that in just a moment, okay? Now, in this uh, being obedient to the faith, I'm going to talk about that in a moment. It's an interesting phrase in this little passage. It's used a couple other times. In how they dealt with this, they were truly living out their faith. The way we deal with conflict, the way we deal with interaction and being obedient to God in the dealing with that is a living out of our faith. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things that would be contrary to the way our society would do it. The, the disciples didn't put a committee together to do a deep study on this thing, right? And they also didn't place blame. All right, whose fault? Who messed up on this deal, okay? Now, in our general society, we'd put a, we'd put a Senate committee together, and they'd report back, and we'd fight over who's on the committee and all that stuff. They didn't do any of that stuff. They just fixed the problem, they just fix it. There's no blame to be placed here. Nobody's looking to be to place blame because the reality was it could have been somebody was not giving out enough food, or it could have been that the women who didn't speak the same language as the people who were giving out the food just weren't communicating any more food. Who knows what it was? It didn't matter. It could be solved that quickly. Why waste your time figuring it out? Let's just go forward. By the way, I, this is something about being future-oriented and, and, and solution-oriented. I think it's a powerful thing we as Christians can do. We don't need to place blame. We don't need to point fingers. We just need to fix things. A lot can get done when when we don't do that. A lot can get done when I'm not too busy telling you that you messed up. Before we fix it, I got you to admit that you messed up. Who cares who messed up? Right? Let's go forward with this thing. And so in this solution-oriented kind of mindset, there's an interesting thing happens here. And um, it it didn't become a thing uh, because how the leaders dealt with it. So let's go, let's go to surprise number two. Surprise number one is the problem was solved quickly. Uh, surprise number two, what we're not surprised about is that the leaders got involved because we have a, a mindset as human beings that we think we need someone else to fix everything. And so the leaders got involved. Now, I'd like to think that uh, the people learned their lesson and they may not have involved the leaders the next time. But here's what we tend to think. We tend to think that if there's a problem, we need to get somebody in charge to fix this thing, okay? We fix it from the top. I I have a little phrase right here I use called stirring from the top. What you saw Cody do earlier, try to recruit people for VBS, is called stirring from the top. Ministries right here, we have lots of ministries right here, and they all want me or Cody to make an announcement and stir it from the top, get people from the top. We only do that when we really feel like we're in dire situation or we're just coming out of a pandemic, Okay, we will get up and we will kind of leverage whatever influence we have and try to get people because we feel like it's super important and we need it served from the top. But here's the truth. We have, we have hundreds of volunteers around here, none of which, did, most of which I did not recruit. Somebody in the congregation got involved in ministry, got excited about it and brought their friend. The friend got excited and they brought their friend. And it's, and it's much better just done that way, one-on-one, because I'm not going to be there with you at VBS the whole time. But your friend who invited you would be. You just have to say, it's much better to just be solved here. And, and, and the leadership should be leading the things that only the leaders could do, right? 
And so here's what's interesting. It's not surprising that the leaders got involved. What is surprising, the leaders didn't solve it. The leaders didn't solve it. Matter of fact, they turned it back to the people and said, here's what we think you ought to do. What are you going to do? And then they blessed it. And so they handed it back. It was solved by the congregation. It was solved by the people. Because here's what you understand is that God put people and wants people in his church, in the body, to get things done. Not the leaders just to get things done. A couple of things. Let me just point out three things on this real quick. One is the people... The, the, the resolution came from the people, by the people, for the people. They fixed it themselves. They just took care of it. Um, they, it's an interesting thing about this, by the way. The names that I just kind of slaughtered as I try to get through them, those names are very important. The reason I tried to read them is because they're important. Because they were not Hebrew names. They are Greek names. Now remember, the conflict is between Greek widows and, and the, the Hebraic uh, believers. And so here's what, if you think about this, the, the indications are that probably the early church was mostly local Jews, um, Hebraic Jews, who probably had the purse strings and had the power within the local congregation. But on the other side, you have these, these Hellenistic widows from, from, from elsewhere who were just at the mercy of, of those who were holding the purse strings, and there were evidently some families among them as well. And so the people with the power said to the people without the power, here, seven of your folks, we're going to just hand you uh, the purse strings, and we're going to trust you to, to feed those women and these women. Now, I'm not making a political statement of any kind. I'm saying what it looks like to be in a community of love and acceptance in relationship with God allows us to trust people. See, what would have happened normally outside the churches, these people would have fought these people and there would become a division and it would have become, it would have become a thing. But because they were in the body of Christ, they were all following Jesus, these folks were able to say to these folks, we trust you. All seven they picked, one of them wasn't even a Jew, he was a, prosel- he, he, he was, he was a convert to Judaism, and said, no, you understand their language, you understand their culture, you know what they need, we're going to trust you to take care of this. It was a trusting thing. You're saying, okay, what does that mean? Okay, I'm going to bring this home for you, I hope. They never did get it last night, but they're slow on Saturday night. Um, I'm just kidding. I am. So let's say a husband and wife. They finished dinner. Um, whichever one cooked it, doesn't matter. Uh, they finished dinner. And throughout dinner, the husband has been on his phone. She doesn't know if he's playing games or he's checking stocks or he's doing work. He's been on his phone. Wife eventually gets bored, gets on her phone, they finish dinner. And later that evening, he wants to spend time together. You're thinking, oh gosh, where is this going? Well, not anywhere, because he was on his phone during dinner. (laughs) So what can happen, and generally does happen, is... There is cold silence. They both turn away from each other and go to sleep. And eventually the coldness wears off and they try to be friends again. But here's what the early church did. And here's what I think works better. Is the husband notices that there's an iceberg in the room. In the bed next to him. And he says, honey, because I'm a very perceptive human being. 
I sense there's something wrong. At which time the wife can say, you are a big fat jerk and I'm never speaking to you. Or she could say, yes, I'm upset about something. Oh, well, I really, I love you and I, I care about you, honey. What, help me understand. Now she has a choice to make at this point. She can either go on being mad and try to power up and get what she wants or take what she wants in this relationship. Or she can do what these guys did and say, all right, here's the truth. The truth is, honey, I don't feel close to you when you're on the phone all the time and we don't talk. I need from you to have conversation. I don't need you to fix it. I don't need you to tell me what to do about it. I just need you to care enough to have conversation with me about it. At which point he'll say, I said hi. So here's what's happening in this situation. She is taking something very precious and very close to her core that he doesn't understand that he could mishandle. Let's, let's imagine it's a, a punch bowl. Do they still make punch bowls? Is that such a thing? Like a crystal one. Like, you know, with the cut glass made in Ireland, okay? Are you getting a picture? Some of you are going to need to look it up. Younger ones, look it up. And she's saying, here's the punch bowl of my happiness and joy and peace in this marriage. It has much to do with us connecting. And we're not doing very good at it. And she says right now, rather than blaming, I'm just going to hand this to you and let you know what I need. Now, he's going to drop it. I'm just telling you, ladies, he's going <laughs> to drop it. The first three or four times, he's going to drop But eventually, he's going to go to the dinner table and go, oh, no, I remember. And he's going to put the phone away. And he's going to try to do something he's not good at. Have a conversation that, that counts, that matters. And here's what you've got. You've now got a trusting act in trusting him with your heart. And now because you both love each other and you're headed the same direction, you're both committed to Christ, you can trust him that and he will do his best with his big old clumsy hands to hang on to that thing and to protect that thing and to grow closer to you in a way that feels so unnatural to him. And by the way, guys, later the iceberg won't be there because you have entrusted. See, in the body of Christ, because we know God, we have been forgiven so much, we can trust each other and figure this thing out. We can work together to find solutions without placing blame, without putting, uh, you know, the, we can do this because we're headed the same direction. We love the same Jesus. We can do this. We can stop yelling and talking past each other, all that stuff. We can entrust each other with our hearts. Let me say something. Yes, we can even trust each other with injustices. Let's start from this side this time. Honey, last night when you rolled over and act like you had a headache, I'm going to take this crystal football, <laughs> also made in Ireland. Which will be round, I guess. I guess it'll be round. And I'm going to say, honey, that really disappointed me. Because I was really hoping we could have some time together. Can, can I just tell you that? Is that okay? And if she's a smart wife, she will take that and think, I don't get it, but he just handed me the key to something here. It might be to a great marriage if I can figure out what to do with this thing right? And so we can move beyond the division and the things that push us apart and, and we can move toward each other 
even as we're moving toward God, and it all is possible because of relationship with Christ, because we're filled with something else. So let me, let me move on to that. The um, Jerusalem Jews appointed the Hellenistic Jews because they entrusted them. Now, the disciples empowered the congregation to work this out. And there's a couple of things I need to say about that. It was because of what they were full of. They were full of the spirit and wisdom. It says in this passage, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Here's why the scenarios I just painted for you don't work in the world at large, because of what we're full of. And I mean that not in the funniest sense. If we're full of, let's start on this side. If we're full of woundedness and hurt from a family of origins issues, or we're full of information that tells me that that man is out to get me and take advantage of me, I can do nothing else but power up. But if I'm full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom, I won't just pop off. I won't just react. I will sense what is God trying to do here? What is the most important thing? What is the deeper issue happening here? Over here, if I am full of greed, and I'm not saying each can't be full of the other. I'm just saying if I am on this side full of greed or full of the knowledge that my value as a man is how much I bring home at the end of the day or what kind of life I economically provide for my family, if I'm full of that kind of information, then when this kind of stuff happens, I'm, but you don't understand, I'm working so hard, it's for you. Right? Does that sound at all familiar like what happens? But if we're full of the Holy Spirit, we get to say, oh, maybe all that working, getting to the top, buying the bigger house isn't what is going to make a great marriage. The Holy Spirit would sensitize us to know there's something else going on. Right? And so men full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom were appointed. Oh, that it were that we were all filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We would have an awful lot to offer each other, an awful lot to offer the world. Not just reacting, not just yelling back, not defending ourselves, not powering up, not pushing against each other adversarially, but what would wisdom and the Holy Spirit call for in this moment? I think it is a powerful imagery that in just this little thing, just this little thing. Why? Because they were all so so involved in prayer and the study of God's word. And the more time we spend with God and authenticity and honesty with God, the more full of the spirit we are and the more full of wisdom we become because of his word. We not only build better marriages and better families and better churches, we would have a better society because everybody right now is trying to fix society by stirring it from the top. I got bad news for you. It doesn't matter if it's a Republican or Democrat at the top, I'm not going to fix it. Because it is in men's and women's hearts. It starts in our hearts as Christians. And as it moves on. By the way, verse 7 is the most surprising thing here. I'll talk about that in a moment. But just little things like this, living out their Christianity in harmony, was such a witness to the world they lived in. It was powerful. So, there's an interesting thing here that sounds a lot like ego, but it's not. The disciples said it would be wrong for us it would be wrong for us to stop doing what we're doing to take care of this. You guys take care of it. It wasn't because it was beneath them. It was because they knew very clearly what they were about. 
They knew very clearly what their job in the church was to do. Here's what's great about the church. Everybody gets a job. You get a job, you get a job, you get a job. And if you don't do your job, you're not having the funnest part of Christianity. Because as you do in the kingdom for eternal purposes, what needs to be done, you will discover why God made you the way he made you. God made you for a reason. And it wasn't just so you could get a job and make a living. He made you a certain gifts and ability so that you could contribute to the body. Now, if the disciples were anything like most preachers, I know they weren't very good at setting up systems for distribution. But these Greek guys evidently were. One of them ran an Amazon warehouse, I think. And they had abilities. They had abilities they were getting to use. So I just have two questions on that count. One, do you know your primary calling in the body of Christ? And are you doing it? And two, if not, why not? And I guess three, what are the rest of us missing because you're not using your gifts? What are we missing? Because there's something missing here because you're not playing. Because you're not in the game. Get in the game. It's the funnest part. I I told you a few weeks ago about a couple who hadn't been able to be at church because he's been struggling with cancer and they can't come because of COVID. All of a sudden they say, you know what we miss most? And I thought for sure it was the sermons. It turns out it wasn't. And it wasn't even the music, it was serving. The best part of Christianity is serving. If you ask anybody who goes to Royal Family Kids Camp, they will tell you it's the hardest week of their life. It's exhausting. It's emotionally draining and it's the best thing they do. Because doing something that counts for eternity is incredible. All right, let me, let me go to the third surprise. I'm running out of time here. Uh, the third surprise is not that word spread. It says in verse 7, so the word of God spread. It wasn't just the word spread. After all, they are feeding widows. I mean, come on. But if you read the rest of it, that's not who who was affected by this. It says this. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples, just this simple, isn't that weird that verse 7 is at the end of a simple little problem-solving issue? But they solved it so quickly, so magnificently, so, so sweetly, without division. They just cut the division right off the beginning that here's what happened. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests, religious leaders. By the way, they're not the good guys in this story generally, the religious leaders. If you remember that part about Jesus and the cross and the disciples in the last few chapters, all that stuff, became obedient to the faith. See, they looked at their form of religion, their form of supposed worshiping God, and it was just full of division and strife and power struggles and all that stuff. And they looked at these people, and these people were just willingly handing resources to each other, whoever needed it. See, as the body of Christ, as the church is the church, it is an incredible light in the world we live in. Being obedient to the faith. It's a phrase that's used in Romans 1, 6, and again, I think in chapter 16. Obedient to the faith. It's about trusting his way accepting his assignments, and walking with him daily. That's what the church is supposed to do. And if the church will be the church, society will be different. So for all of us who like to sit around and bemoan what the church looks like, I mean, the the world looks like and the country looks like, the church better take a hard look at itself and say, we got to do better. We got to get closer to Jesus. We got to love each other more. We got to be the church. We got to be the church for each other and to each other and with each other. We got to be the church in the sense that we are examples to each other, what it means to live selflessly, to live walking close to Jesus. As I get older, it's disappointing because so many of my examples have gone on. Some of my other examples have failed. We need to be examples to each other, what it means to be the church. We need to go first kind of Christians where we love first, even if we've been offended in some way. 
We need to be the church with each other, encouraging each other, get beyond our, our device, whether it's our phone or whatever it is, and begin to look around and be aware and available to those who are struggling to be a word of encouragement. Even for those who aren't gifted in encouragement, you can still do it. The Holy Spirit will help you. Be the church for each other. There are times when people have physical needs. They, they may need help paying their bills. They may need help getting a job. They may need help, and we need to be available and caring for that. You see, the answer for our society and the answer for being who God called us to be is not yelling louder. It is loving more. And as we learn to love more in little things, like just feeding the widows, <laughs> in the little things, as we learn to love more, we will be the church and being the church is the hope of the world because the only answer that everyone is looking for is found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is the answer. Everything else will fail. And if the church isn't doing what the church does, then they don't know where to find the answer. Cody sent me an interview with um, N.T. Wright and an atheist and, uh, and an interviewer. And the atheist says, I really wish the church would be the church. Otherwise, it's just another, another social action organization. Without the dynamic of the supernatural, without, this is an atheist, very familiar with Christianity. Without the dynamic of the supernatural, without understanding who Jesus was and what he did, the church doesn't have anything more to offer than any other club. But because we do, we can live differently. And that's what the world is looking for. I'm going to invite the band up and the, and the, the band out. Uh, and the singers to come up uh, because I want us to sing a song together. We have a few minutes left. I want us to sing a song together. And it's about, it's kind of a prayer. It's kind of an invitation to God. Come and help us be the church because we need you to help us be the church. We need you to help us love each other in ways that are demonstrative to the world around us, in ways that might be a little inconvenient, might even cost us a little something from time to time. But that is the hope of the world, and that is the most important calling we have, is to know Jesus and to love each other. And so I'm going to ask them to lead us in this song, and as you catch on, begin to sing along. We hope you enjoyed this message, and remember, we also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. You can always join us online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.